0: We'll be in page 593 in one of the Blue Bibles, and if you don't have one of the Blue Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 5, and if you don't have a Bible, if you could just kind of raise your hand, my friend Mike will, um, will pass one out to you, and he'll kind of walk one over to you, and as always, um, absolutely, I see that hand, I see that hand. Um, as always, if we, if we ever um, know someone, for example, that doesn't even own a Bible, man, we want that to be our gift to them. And so, uh, and so that, that's just something we, we want to put God's Word in front of, of you the best we can. That's our gift to you if you don't own one, and that's our gift to someone else if they don't own one. And, and we'll be in Acts chapter 5. And I want to invite you first, after you find Acts chapter 5, if you can, just kind of put your finger in that spot, mark that spot, and then turn with me to the table of contents. And so um, if you're not familiar, this is actually a good roadmap for the Bible Um, If you're not familiar with all of the books of the Bible, um, it's okay to to dig into that. Um, But I want you to turn with me to the table of contents at the very beginning of the book. And so with your finger in Acts chapter 5 to mark your spot, the Old Testament and the New Testament should be delineated or split up in your table of contents. And I want you to look closely just for a minute at the New Testament. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is, as we zoom in on a passage, we always want to zoom back out to see what it is that God is communicating in the whole of Scripture and the whole of God's Word. We never want to pull something out of context and just use it for our own benefit to make it to say what we want it to say. But instead, we want to not only shape what we say and sing around what the Bible tells us, but we want to shape our direction and our vision as a group of people around what God's Word has laid out for us. And so just very briefly, if you look at the New Testament, you'll see kind of a a list here. And if you read through some of these names, you'll see the very first four books are the names of people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four books are known as the Gospels. The Gospel being just a fancy church word that we use a lot, but it means good news And so the first four names are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and the New Testament begins with four different accounts from four different witnesses of the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus, it is the first thing that we talk about it's the thing we get most excited about it's the reason we come before God and we're not guilty ashamed or afraid but it's the good news of what Jesus has accomplished and what Jesus has taught and it's the beginning it's the foundation for the New Testament that we dig into regularly it's the beginning then after that immediately following that you'll see a book that we're in the book of Acts Fully, it's the actions or the acts of the apostles. So the first followers of Jesus responded to the good news that, was, that they experienced firsthand of who Jesus was, what He accomplished, and what He taught. And the acts are their response to the Gospel. Following that, you'll see a bunch of different names that don't seem to work together, but in fact, they're lists of locations or people. And following the actions of the disciples, following the acts of the first followers of Jesus, are letters, there's correspondence between these followers, between apostles. And some of those letters are named after the names of those authors, the writers. So presumably those letters came from those people. So you'll see one like Peter. That was written by Peter. James is one of my favorite. Uh, we talked about this a few months ago, how, how it's pretty amazing that a brother who knows all the dirt on his, you know, on, on his sibling would still love and cherish that person. Well, James was a brother of Jesus who knew everything there was to know about Jesus. And if ever there was a person to come out publicly and say that Jesus was a liar and he's not who he says he is, it would be his brother. And yet we see his brother James sending correspondence, re- encouraging people to live out their faith in his brother that is Jesus Christ. You'll also see like Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians. These are names of places. And so these are letters written to these people. And so so if you just follow with me the the big picture of the New Testament, you have the beginning is the good news of who Jesus is. Immediately following is the, the response of the followers, that is the acts of the followers of Jesus. And then what follows are the churches. So you've got the good news, the gospel of Jesus, people's response to follow Jesus, hearts and lives are changed by this good news and then what happens is the church that may seem like an obvious thing to point out but I, i want to to make note of this as we're digging through the book of acts we are on our way between knowing and living the good news and becoming a church like the new testament means for us to be and those ingredients are not interchangeable the order cannot be switched around. And so I'll have to read this left to right. You're right, my left. But So the good news begins. We respond, the acts of the followers, and then the church. And it's more common to have a church and hope that all of the things that come with a church end up generating followers of Jesus. And hopefully out of the church comes the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and people will hear that and follow it. And That's possible, but but notice that that's not how the New Testament works. The New Testament begins with the good news of who Jesus is. And where that is declared, people are changed, and they band together to create the church. And if there's a vision that I could put out for you and for me as a group of people who call ourselves a church, even though we're a baby church, it is that, is that our foundation would first and foremost be the good news of Jesus. There are so many other good things that we can talk about and encourage each other with, and none of them have the internal significance and value of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And any time that we're excited about something more than what Jesus has done, in effect, telling the world that what Jesus has done is not big enough it's not that big a deal we need something else well then we've missed out on the key ingredient for what the church is meant to be and we've missed out on the blueprint that god has set for us in the new testament after all i quote uh saint papa john if you want to make a better pizza you need what better ingredient oh yes you know saint john it's my boy right and if we're going to have a church that's alive and reaching our city and our families and the world with the gospel, then we had better take care about what ingredients we put into it. The key ingredient being the first four books of this New Testament, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So that may seem like an obvious thing to point out, but I want you to kind of zoom out for a minute to see that we're in the transition period, the acts between the good news of Jesus and the churches that were planted and started as a result of that good news going out has this kind of break point. There's, there's a middle transition point, and that is the Acts. And that's what we have been doing, looking at what, how we as a group of people dig and believe into the good news of Jesus and end up on the other end, hopefully, a church. And so here we are in Acts chapter 5, and up to this point, everything has really been kind of peachy. Right? And so for those of you um, who have who've, who've been with us the last several weeks, the good news of Jesus is proclaimed by these followers. People get excited about it because it's accompanied by miraculous signs and amazing wonders. And the people immediately hear it. They're transformed by it. They're excited to hear that God has not abandoned them. And when they hear that God, in spite of their own guilt, loves them and has sent His Son Jesus on their behalf... They immediately believe this story, their lives and hearts are changed, and they create a movement that still is going on to this day. And up to this point, there's been very little resistance from the people that hear and respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. In fact... Only up to this point, there's been a couple of times where the religious authorities, the religious elite, are are kind of feel the power of of their own religious practices slipping away as these people are proclaiming the good news in Jesus. That that you can have all of the religious practices that you want, but if your heart is not right with God, if your heart is not reconciled to God by the good news of Jesus, then those religious practices are going to be a large waste of time. And they're going to be a source of of constant guilt, struggle, and you will never get joy from them. And as people hear this good news that Jesus has made a way for them to be back in the good graces of God Almighty, they respond, believe, and follow. A couple people get thrown in jail. But they get released. They command these people, that is Peter and John, shut your mouths, stop talking about Jesus, stop saying that there's power in His name be quiet, and of course they keep on doing that. And up to this point, it really hasn't been that rocky of a road. There hasn't been that much of conflict, even between the people. But just so you know that the good news of Jesus and the story of the Bible isn't just all peaches and bunny rabbits and kittens. There really is a real side to this story, because there's people involved. And one of those stories is found right here in the first passage chapter 5 so up to this point everything's been going great the last few verses of verse 4 of chapter 4 are amazing it says that all of those people were of one heart and one soul nobody said that they any one thing belonged to them in fact because of the radical generosity of god to send his son jesus they began to see radical generosity in their own hearts and in their own group of people. And so they began selling their possessions. They began selling things that had value to them in order to bless someone else. And it says, uh, the, last, the last couple of verses of, of chapter 4 said that thus, the apostles, as they were distributing distributing the, the proceeds from the sacrifice, uh, verse 36, it says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and we all need a good son of encouragement in our life, it says he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. It says that even he sold a field that belonged to him and then he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So this radical generosity of God shown to us in Jesus Christ begins to change their hearts and they begin to show radical generosity to one another. Last week we talked about what an offering and a gift means is that we do not give or give offerings out of guilt or out of shame. We don't give peace offerings to God because ultimately God has already eradicated our guilt, done away with our shame in Jesus Christ. We don't give a gift hoping that we'll buy peace with God. We know that God has already made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And so we give generously to one another and to the mission of the church, not out of guilt or shame. We do it because we know that God has already made peace we respond in gratitude and radical generosity and there's examples here of these first groups of believers who did the exact same thing they laid down things that they valued to generously contribute to the mission of God and to the people of God and then verse 1 of chapter 5 ends with or begins with what word oh but and so it's my nature. We're going to talk about the idols that we have and this passage. that I think this passage reveals things. We call them idols, but um, what, what that simply means is things that we would rather have than God. Things that even though God is of inestimable, inestimable value, even God is of infinite worth, there are some things that we often would rather have than Him. And we would rather spend our time and money and energy trying to gain those things than the grace of God that he gives to us freely in Jesus Christ. And one of mine would be probably approval. I do very many things, like most pastors, wanting to win the approval of people. And so just know that there's there's a sense in in which this this passage is something I would, in my own instinct, rather pass over because it's not really pretty. And I would rather not tell you something that you didn't want to hear. Yet the first word here is but. But a man named Ananias... With his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. So they were doing the exact same thing that other people were doing. They were selling what they possessed in order to fund the mission, to support the apostles, and to support any needs that were there in their group of people. They sold that piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So up to this point, people were sacrificing. They were giving of their own possessions, of their own bank accounts, of their own money. They were giving of their own resources, and they were giving it to the apostles so that the apostles could put those resources where that group, that that movement, that fledgling movement of Christians could best utilize it. And so they would sacrifice, they would either sell something or give something that they had, give it to the apostles, and the apostles would put it To good use right their leaders would would put it toward their mission and people showed great trust there they trusted these people they 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 gave the money and they they said here look you use this as you best see fit and up to this point it gives us some examples of some people who gave radically and it seems like this story might be the same right it might be the same kind of story we just read that a guy by the name of joseph or barnabas sold some land, gave it to the apostles, the the proceeds to the apostles, and that was the end of the story. And this one begins kind of the same way. Now, there was a guy by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and they sold a property and the proceeds they gave to the apostles, but it says that they withheld. Kind of implying as though that up to this point, the people that had been giving were giving completely and totally. They were giving all of the proceeds from whatever they sold. But this Ananias and Sapphira seemed to break protocol and they withheld it. Said they held back part of it and they laid part of it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And then after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? For you have not lied to man, but to God. So stop right there. It seems as if that the story tells us that while some people were sacrificing greatly and giving all of the profits and proceeds from their sacrifice to the leadership of the church to fund the mission and and to support one another... These people kind of break protocol and they sell a piece of land, but instead of taking all of the proceeds, which seems to be what's implied about the rest of these people, they they hold part of it back and they give it. And and you might be kind of inclined to think, well, that's what's wrong. They they only gave part. But Peter is quick to point out that it wasn't that they didn't give all, it was the motive that they had and the way in which they went about it. In fact, Peter said, wait wasn't the money yours to begin with? I mean, couldn't you have given part of it? Or or, or, wasn't it all yours? But instead of giving all of the proceeds, and instead of giving all of it to the apostles and holding on to it, he says that after it was sold, I mean, why why was it that even though it was at your disposal, that you've contrived this deed in your heart? And so the deed doesn't seem to be that they sold or withheld some things. It seems to be that they've somehow, according to Peter, lied to God. Their actions, it says, were not consistent with their heart. Their motives were not consistent with their practice. Verse 5, it says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last breath. Understandably, it says, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and they wrapped him up and they carried him out and they buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And again, it tells us understandably that great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, this is a story that makes me terribly uncomfortable because up to this point, we've talked about how the good news of Jesus can turn anyone. No matter what they're guilty of, even murder up to this point, the good news of Jesus redeems us to God. Even though there may be consequences left in our life from our decision, ultimately, the good news of Jesus is the power to redeem us and remove the consequences that are between us and God. And yet here is a story not of the good news of redemption, not of the good news of second chances, but this story seems to be an isolated incidence in which there's no means of redemption or turning. Instead, there is only what seems to be judgment. I don't know what else to call it. It's judgment. God responds, and and in a supernatural way, these people, by some miracle, and not a good miracle, they immediately drop dead. Now now notice just just something that's going on here in the text that we've seen up to this point. Um, It not only tells the story of Ananias, but it also tells separately, in a few separate verses, the story of Sapphira. And we've talked about up to this point that that Jesus is different. Jesus breaks all the rules. In a society where women were not typically even allowed to give an eyewitness account in a court of law, Jesus revealed himself first to whom after his resurrection? A couple of women. And so we this, this movement that started around following Jesus is different. It's not just for men. It's for men and women equally. And, and then we see that The blessings and the count of of what's going on here in this first movement as people are believing and following Jesus, there's typically a count of both men and women. On one case, it has men, but it begins to count the women. And in fact, after that, we find that the persecution is mentioned to apply to both the men and the women. So Jesus starts a new movement in which there is no male nor female, there's no male and no no female. There's, There's this equality before God. I point this out because here's another example of there's equality not only of God's grace and blessing, but there's also apparently an equality to responsibility and accountability. Ananias and Sapphira, man and woman, woman and man, husband and wife, both have the same fate separately. Peter confronts them both evenly and equally. I point that out because there was a miracle that took place and it happened twice in a row. Great fear spread around both times. And I'm inclined to feel the same way because if that were the case on a regular basis, that that people who deceived the Spirit and lied to God and had inconsistency in their own heart, discrepancy between their own motives and their own actions, well then I'm inclined to be a little bit terrified as well because I think there might be people, I could be wrong, dropping dead around us all the time. Now, there's good news in this. This is the only case in the book of Acts where a story like this is told. This is the only one. There's, there's not a a great movement of people just dying because of their hypocrisy. It doesn't take place. And there's good news. This is an isolated incident. It seems to be the case that There was something significant, something special about these two people and their disobedience before God, the state of their own hearts, and apparently the potential maybe to make an example that this happens, it's recorded, remembered, and it causes great fear among the people, but luckily it doesn't happen again. But still, here we are with this story about a couple of people who lied and they died. Now, I don't know about you, but I, 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 before I probably was the age of 12, was a professional liar. I had made lying, mm, I don't know, kind of a survival tactic. Get in trouble, lie. If that one doesn't work out, you know how this goes. Make a new lie about that one, right? I'm, I'm, I'm re- I, 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 was, and I was actually really good at it, right? I mean, I was just smart enough to lie about it just a circle of things, um, before I knew it, you know, that here, here were a circle of lies. These guys lie once they die, and yet my experience, thankfully, by the grace of God, is that despite however many times I have lied, and despite that in my heart I desire to deceive and I am still a liar, I seem to be still be breathing. Now, my words are being recorded, so if anything happens miraculously, you can go back and say, well, that was pretty awesome, right? There's, there's proof. Tell everyone. This guy died because he lied, right? We have proof of it. But I have a little bit of confidence that that doesn't seem to be the norm. This seems to be an isolated incident. And so I at least want to dig into it and see what it is that, that's being upheld here, what's being pointed toward, and how it is that we apply it, how we begin to, to make use of this. Because after all, if, if none of us has died because we have lied, then, then there must be something else going on here that, that's being spoken about. There must be a lesson here. There must be a sermon here for us other than you will die if you don't tell the truth. And I think the word that, that seems to be the most consistent, especially from the words of Jesus, if you were in a, a part of a small group this week, is this word right here, hypocrite hypocrite. It's a scary word. Jesus used it actually very selectively. He used it towards a group of religious people. And this last week, we saw that in our own hearts, it seems to be easier to follow a list of rules and think that makes us better than other people, all the while ignoring the state of our own hearts. What that creates, unfortunately, is hypocrisy, where While we think our actions put us in right standing, they actually are inconsistent with the crookedness, the brokenness, and the fallenness of our own dark hearts. And our own dark hearts are often revealed even by those outward actions. It just so happens that it typically doesn't reveal our own hearts until no one's really looking or when we think no one is looking. And when we begin to think that outward appearances and outward actions are more important than the state of our own hearts, then we've betrayed the good news of Jesus. That is, that Jesus didn't come so that you would stop following these rules and fill your own life with a new set of practices and rules. And one of the things I shared with you like, if you're here just because you're bored on Sunday mornings, if you on Sunday mornings just need a hobby, buy a boat. Right? It's going to give you a lot more fulfillment than being around this group of people while your heart really isn't in it. Because if you keep hanging around these group of people, hopefully, you know, we'll change your heart and change your mind. That'd be great. But if your heart isn't really excited about what Jesus has done for you, then I'm going to warn you, you're going to be very miserable when you hang around with us because we're going to keep talking about Jesus. We're going to keep talking about how good he is and how awesome he is. And that's going to be really frustrating. And you'll find yourself wishing, this is a really lousy hobby. I should get a boat. Because this whole outward appearance thing isn't why Jesus died. And it's really good news that Jesus suffered and died for something bigger than just your hobbies on Sunday morning. And that's incredibly good news for me, that God sent His Son that I would have a new life, I would be a new creation in Him, not so that I would just fit into a new club. Who, by the way, will likely kick you out once you stop following their rules. And that's really good news that Jesus died for something greater than that. You don't have to dress up. You can, I don't care, but you don't have to look a certain way to follow Jesus with us. Because ultimately, that's not why Jesus died. And so my first word of good news about this story is that you, hypocrite, are welcome in this group of people. You are welcome. We don't hide hypocrisy. In fact, we expose it. We expose it. It's not a big deal. We are hypocrites. And in fact, this ought to encourage you the next time someone goes, yeah, that church, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. You don't have to defend them. You don't have to say, well, no, they're not. You can say, yeah, I know. They really are. And isn't it amazing that God would send his son to die for that group of hypocrites? You don't have to deny it. If someone says, "Man, that, those people are losers. They're all sinners, just like me. They're not any better than me." You don't have to defend them. You can say, "Yeah, I know. What a bunch of losers!" In fact, if that's ever anyone you know wages that kind of uh, an of accusation, an uh, accusation to any of us, you can just—you don't have to defend them. That guy up at the front, the guy that, loud, that, that seems to talk the loudest, he's a big hypocrite. Don't defend me. Just say, "Yeah, I know." Isn't it amazing that God has grace even for that guy? You're welcome here. The cross of Jesus Christ outs all of our hypocrisy and all of the things that are inconsistent that we want to keep a secret, God has made a public spectacle of in the cross. So much so that as the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and all that have fallen short of the glory of God now deserve that death so much so that Jesus had to die to save you and me from an eternal punishment that we deserve. And so when we look at the cross, we remember that we are no better than the people around us, that our sin is as publicly displayed on that cross as everyone else's. And for us to wear the cross around our neck or to have the sign of the cross in our words that is about the good news of Jesus, is a confession that ultimately we are broken people, hypocrites in our own hearts. But thank God, by the power and grace of Jesus Christ, He set us free. So my first word is, you're, you're welcome here. Don't, don't waste any time or energy trying to impress the people here. Please. And, and don't let me. Don't let me try to impress you. Because in the end, none of us have the eyes into one another's souls like God does. And to condone that kind of behavior is actually to create a barrier between us and an open, a wide open relationship with a loving and omniscient God who knows all and can forgive all. You're welcome here. You're, you're welcome to be a hypocrite and a failure here. That's why we love Jesus. The church, I've heard it defined this way, it's not a showcase for saints, but more of it, it's like a rescue operation, or like a hospital for sinners. We're not here to show off how good we are. We're here to celebrate how good Jesus is. And the good news of Jesus is not that you're okay The good news of Jesus begins as bad news about you. And it's amazing that bad news about you could be good news about Him. But that's why we celebrate Him. That's why we sing about Him. And if you find yourself even in the singing, like, man, I don't like this song. Well, I'm sorry. But too bad. None of the songs were written about you anyway. Right? They were all written about Jesus and how good He is. And that sets some of you free who maybe don't feel like you can sing. You ought to be set free. You can sing. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are. Right? You can forgive me for missing notes and we can forgive one another for missing notes. Not because ultimately the songs are about us or our our talent, but ultimately the songs are about Jesus and how good He is. And so in that kind of an environment, you're welcome. You're welcome to be a failure. But this story... Is about how the disposition of a group of people, a pair of people, led to their own death. And this is the part that I don't like to say, but there is a lesson to be had here. You are welcome to be hypocrites here, you are welcome to be broken. You are welcome, but Jesus does not desire that you remain that way. In fact, being that way is hazardous to your health. It's hazardous to your health. God uses all of these signs and wonders. All of them. God uses all of them. Some of them that they, that, that God gave them the power to to accomplish. Some of them were the result of other people. We're going to see in the next few chapters that some people begin to persecute the followers of Jesus, and God even uses that persecution to let the gospel go to the nations, to scatter the people. And so the good news of Jesus goes further because of the bad decisions of people who wanted to shut them up. And God uses all of those things ultimately to bring glory to himself and to Jesus Christ. And in this particular case, while God has up to this point been using these signs and wonders to point people to Jesus and bring glory to himself, at this point he uses these two people to bring glory to himself, to himself not by saving them, but by destroying them. We love and worship a God who saves and can rescue anyone. But it's only by His mercy that He does so. We all deserve exactly what Ananias and Sapphira got. We all deserve it. And it's only by God's mercy that any of us is still breathing. I want to point this out to you that our God will get the glory from you, and from me, whether we choose to give it to Him or not. And our God will get the glory from us by either displaying His glorious grace over our lives forever and ever, or He will get the glory by displaying His wrath over our lives forever and ever. I don't want you to think that God is somehow not good in fact, I would argue that if God isn't wrathful, then He's not good. Okay, so, so just, just a good example. This last week, like so many weeks, somebody senselessly took some weapons into a public place and put people to death. If that doesn't make you angry, you're not good. And if that doesn't make God angry and stir up His wrath, then He's not good. And so don't think that just because God is wrathful and some people are punished, that, don't think that, that makes God bad. In fact, that's what makes him good. It's that God deserves the glory of all people and when evil happens, God will get the glory by displaying his wrath over that evil. So you're welcome. and You are welcome to be here as hypocrites. You're welcome to be a failure. You're welcome to have sin in your lives. Here is what I think this story tells us. You're not allowed to lie about it. You're not allowed to lie about it. It seems that these people lied and Peter accused them of something that's amazing. You didn't just lie to the people around you about the dollars. You lied to God about your own heart. You see this later. If you, if you skip down with me, if you, if you want to keep reading, um, these people all of a sudden um, get in trouble. All right, These signs and wonders were, were taking place and up to this point, you know, good things have happened, but, uh, but then the people respond, throw some guys in jail, and, and it says in verse 27, when they brought them, that is the people doing these signs and wonders, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, and he said, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and listen to this thing about their teaching that upset them the most, the thing that no one wants to hear, it says, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and now you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, this is like the fourth time up to this point in the book of Acts that people have publicly accused others in the crowd of actively participating in putting Jesus on the cross. And I believe that that's because it's really bad news to be accused of murder. In fact, it's really bad news to be accused of anything that's evil. And it is our first response to defend ourselves, to say, no, I'm not. And if we can't disprove the accusation, do you know what we do? We justify the accusation. Well, maybe I am, but this is why. And if we can't justify it, we compare ourselves to others. Well, they did it. None of which is honest about guilt. None of which is honest about what we've done. None of those responses that these people have as they begin to justify their actions and try to defend themselves admit the guilt that they ultimately have. This is a common occurrence. It's not just Ananias and Sapphira. It's not just your heart and mine. That, that we're not the only ones who don't want the secrets about us to come out. These people didn't want to be guilty of this man's death, that is Jesus' death, any more than anyone else. And to be accused of wrongdoing inspired in them a desire to defend themselves, to justify themselves, and to compare themselves to others. And so if you find yourself doing that, there's good news. You're welcome, you hypocrite. You're welcome here. But you're not allowed to lie about it. Oh, sure, you can lie to us about it. We won't know. You can get away with it. But you're not allowed to lie to God about it. You see, the good news begins by pointing out our flaws. The good news starts very bad, and it's not fun. The good news begins by telling you that Walt Disney's wrong. You're not a princess, and you're not a snowflake you're not that special. In fact, you're a failure. You might be guilty of Jesus' own blood. The good news isn't about you. The good news is about Jesus, that in spite of those things, God loves you and has sent his son to reconcile you. So just think about even, here's a litmus test for some of you in this room. If I stand up here and I say, you, I mean, this isn't in my nature, so I don't want to do this kind of stops my own desire to have people's approval but if i stood up here and just yelled at you like you are a bunch of filthy rotten rebellious sinners if i stood up here and just rail you all of you you're all sinners what is what does that inspire in you because if your first response is well no i'm not Uh-uh, i'm not that bad have you seen so and so I mean, look at them now. There, and if I, mean, I may be filthy, but at least I'm not as bad as them. And if that's your response, then I, I would argue that you might be trying to be dishonest with God's Holy Spirit to reveal and rebuke and ultimately turn you away from your own sin. But here's the other side of this litmus, te- litmus test. If you stand up here and, and I say, like, "Hey, you're all filthy, rotten sinners," and you find yourself going, "Yeah, I know." Isn't it amazing that Jesus would save me? Well, then there's excellent and ultimate news that being honest with ourselves about God draws out the truth of God revealed to us in Jesus. The mercy that comes in the good news comes from being honest about our own brokenness and honest about our own need for it. So what are the things that attack that? Well, I, I think I, I would argue that while there's a long list, this isn't by any means, you know, exhaustive. I, I would say that the idols, the things that seem to draw our attention away from the good news of God and Jesus, look like this. I think there's three in American culture, okay? And I think it's power and control is probably the first one. Comfort is probably the second biggest one, and and then approval. I think those three, you can kind of summarize most of the things that we do, wrap them up into those idols. Those are the things that, if you look at our time, if you look at the the, the time that we spend throughout the week, those are the things that we invest the most in. We invest the most time, energy, and money in in getting control or power and to getting comfort or to win approval. The work we do. Most of you and i we will take a job or choose a career not based on how god has equipped us and positioned us in the world for his glory but we typically take a job trying to get one of those things don't we which one will get me the highest up the most control most power or which one will you know give me the most comfort right that is the most bang for my buck i get i get the most i get paid the most for doing the least or that's our natural inclination or or Approval. You can look at almost every expenditure. Look at your checkbook. Everything you and I have bought in the last three weeks, I, was it for God's glory here in Sioux Falls, or was it? As I'm, I'm guilty of it. Did you make those purchases ultimately for I don't know, control, comfort, the approval of people? kind of a financial advisor of our time by the name of Dave Ramsey. I, I love the way he puts it. and He nails me. He says, we spend all of our money. In fact, we'll go into debt to buy things that we don't need to impress people and win the approval of people we don't even like. Man, if that's not, if that's not idolatry of, of, of approval, I don't, I don't know what is. We'll buy a name brand, not because it's better, but because people will think it's cooler. In fact, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll do things or, or make decisions so that we'll have more comfort. Here's the good news of Jesus. God wants to give you power and control in Jesus Christ. God wants to give you all the comfort that this life and the next life can hold in Jesus Christ. And God wants to give you the ultimate approval that He can give through Jesus Christ. And He wants all of those things to be found in Him and Him alone. So that we will sing with all our hearts, even though sometimes our actions betray us, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my life, not my job. He is my strength. He is my all. And so as you look at maybe some of the idols that pull at your own heart, would you just look at them for a minute? What do you you think tugged at their heart that kept them? from giving generously. What do you think kept them from sacrificing and lying? What do you think it was that they loved more than the truth of God and Jesus Christ that caused Ananias and Sapphira? And in the places where you find yourself lying, and the places where you in your own life have dark secrets, Secret sins, things that you do that no one knows about. What's keeping you from coming clean? You know that thing that you did that you don't want anyone to know about? That decision you made that you've been trying to keep a secret for a long time? That attribute of yourself that you wish no one would find out? What's keeping you? From laying it out to let Jesus embrace it, grab it and proclaim His victory over it. Because until we begin to ask that question, until we begin to dig in to find out what it is that really keeps us from being honest before God and before one another, And you may still be breathing. just like Ananias and Sapphira, you're probably dead where you sit. True life, real life, real joy comes not from hiding and running from the truth about you. Real true joy comes from admitting, confessing the truth, and then receiving God's approval in response. I don't think you're going to die if you lie to me or to anyone else. I don't really think you're going to die if right now you have hypocrisy in your heart and you don't want to confess it to God. I think you'll probably live. Here's why. God loves you too much. God loves you too much to let your fate be the fate of Ananias and Sapphira. And even now in this moment, God is giving you another chance, another opportunity to let your heart be open before God, confess the truth of who he is in spite of how bad we are, and then receive the grace and mercy that comes from being honest and open to God. As a response, uh, we're going to uh, pray together. I want us to join in in prayer, and then we're gonna actually, before we dismiss, we're gonna take up this morning's offering, and, and you'll see on that card, there's actually some places, maybe if there's a way that Maybe you want to know more about this. Maybe if there's some places in your own life where you want to lay this out before someone, I would love to talk to you and encourage you to talk to some of the people around you and pray for you. I would love if maybe, maybe is this the first time you've heard that God wants to know the the truth about you and yet not in order to reject you and kill you, but, but ultimately to restore you, redeem you, and give you new joy and new life. If This is the first time you heard. I would love for you maybe check I'd like to know more about being a Christian. Maybe you would just like to to put some, pray for me in this. I would love to pray with you and and for you about that. Let that be our response to hearing this good news. Let let it ultimately stir up fear in us like the first Christians. Not so that we would stay there in shame and guilt, but that we would run to Jesus for our hope and we would find our affirmation, our comfort and our approval in what Jesus has done for us. And if that's you today, don't, don't leave today without responding in some way. And so let's respond first of all by confessing that to God and pray together. God, we thank you so much uh, that you are good and you are merciful. Uh, We thank you that uh, in spite of a hard word, in spite of a word that maybe we don't like to hear, that we're not perfect, we don't have it all figured out, you're still good and merciful. God, I also thank you that sometimes it is your mercy to actually point that out. Man, after all, how much do you have to hate someone? How much would you hate us if you just let us destroy ourselves? Thank you for exposing sin and exposing hypocrisy and exposing the lies that we tend to tell ourselves and to you. Would you expose that? And even for some of us, that maybe that's a painful, you know, a painful proposition. That they don't want to be honest about their sin. And I know I don't. Would you encourage us now that? That to be honest about our guilt and sin isn't to live in it, but ultimately to be set free from it. Until we finally confess it and say, look, God, I'm, I'm a failure, I'm a liar, I'm a thief. My heart is not right. Until we run to you for our approval and grace, then, then those things will, f- will, for the rest of our lives, hold us down, will trap us, and they'll keep us from ever knowing the good news, the truth, of who you are and what you've accomplished for us in Jesus. We'll never know the joy and freedom that comes from knowing our sins and knowing your forgiveness for them. So if there's, in this room, if, if, we, if, if we have inconsistency that we haven't let you have access to, if there's places where we, we, we're hiding and we don't want you to know the truth, would, would you begin to now to turn our hearts, shape our hearts, so that we would seek you and seek your approval? God, for those of us who know the joy that comes in Jesus, I thank you. I thank you so much for the freedom that comes uh, when we can stop hiding and running from and trying to justify our failures, but instead we can confess them, admit them before you and before one another and say, isn't it amazing? Oh, isn't God's grace amazing that he would save a wretch like me? Isn't, isn't God's grace amazing that he would look on me a worm, a rebel, and that he would send his son to put me right with him. What a loving God and a loving father that he would draw his children back to himself. We thank you that you've done that for those of us in this room that know the peace and joy in Jesus Christ. We want to celebrate that. We want to respond with generosity, both with your good news and with the things you've given us. We want to respond with honesty. We want to lay ourselves before you, God, that we know that you see us as we truly are, and you are not afraid of it. You're not, uh, it doesn't, make you shy or or embarrassed, but instead, as you see who we really are, it just makes you all the more generous and all the more gracious. We thank you for that gift of Jesus Christ because it's only in his name that we could ever have deliverance and power and life and approval. Amen.